This is Daniel Fragell, and you're listening to the AI and Business Podcast. It's Tuesday, so you know what that means. We're going to be covering AI use cases. Every Tuesday, that's what we do here. And every Thursday, we cover Making the Business Case, where we talk about AI strategy and how to make a strong business case to adopt AI in the enterprise. But today, it's use cases, and we're focusing on a topic we've never covered before, and that is procurement. Yes, procuring things. Everybody from the government does it. From big cities, they do it. Big companies, they do it. Procurement is big business, and it's actually a pretty critical part of the logistics and supply chain world. Artificial intelligence is making its way into procurement, and we speak this week with Edmund Zagarin. He's the founder of a Bay Area venture-backed startup called BidOps. Edmund speaks to us about what the future of artificial intelligence and procurement looks like and how it ties into the broader landscape of logistics and supply chain. Given all the massive disruption in the supply chain with COVID-19, this is a timely topic and it's a slice of the logistics world that we've actually never covered before, which is pretty unique because we've covered a lot. Some of you are already Emerge Plus members and you're well aware of this, but the latest AI white paper in the AI white paper library, which is one of the five major benefits of the Emerge Plus membership, is the Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Logistics white paper, where we cover three critical trends in the future of the supply chain. If you are already an Emerge Plus member, just go to the AI white paper library and you can download it there. If you're not an Emerge Plus member and you want access to all of our latest white papers, you want to stay on top of trends and use cases, and also have our full capability map to be able to find AI use cases in whatever sector you're looking for, then be sure to check out emerj.com slash p1. That's P as in plus, emerj.com slash p1. And you can learn more about our Emerge Plus membership and the benefits of being able to look through all of our material at once and get access to our exclusive white papers. Again, the latest of which is all about the future of the supply chain and three critical trends in that area. Edmund does a great job of talking about procurement and tees up that topic quite well in this episode. So I hope you enjoy. This is our Use Case Tuesday episode here on the AI and Business Podcast. We're joined by Ed Zagarin of BitOps. Here we go. So Ed, where I want to start off is just first getting a sense of how priorities are changing. I know you, you know, you're in the business of working with procurement and supply chain and logistics folks. You know, you're seeing them all sort of responding to this coronavirus as it's emerging here. How do you see this sort of affecting what people consider to be their priorities in that world? Dan, it's having a big impact. And I, I think that the good news is, is that at least right now, it's not having a huge impact on the efficacy and the stability of supply chains. But that's, that's in part because it's having such a huge impact on the priorities of supply chain organizations. Hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll give you an example. I mean, you know, the first probably most obvious way uh, is actually the way that it's that's affecting all of us is that you just have a lot of folks that are working from home. And so rhythms are different. The teams are being asked to do different types of projects. So in a lot of in a lot of organizations, the procurement sourcing and supply chain team is on the front lines of buying protective medical equipment, masks, sanitary supplies yeah. and so on. And so you're seeing a group of people that is, you know, being asked to work under suboptimal remote conditions or in some cases to work remotely for the first time, figuring that out while their workload is is significantly increasing. 
um, and the urgency of, of completing projects effectively and efficiently is, is, is just skyrocketing. You know, I think the other thing that you're seeing is there are a lot of people that are concerned about bullwhips. So bullwhips is kind of an interesting phenomenon in supply chain where when there's a surge in demand, you know, that signal moves through the different actors in the supply chain, goes back to the production site, and then sometimes can cause that good or service to be overproduced. Some forecasters are saying, you know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to wind up with a whole heck of a lot of toilet paper um, and <laughs> yeah. some of the other things that have been cleaned out. And of course, if you've gone out and bought, you know, two or three months worth of supply, you might not go back for, you know, those extra rolls once the, the shelves are restocked. Um, so it'll be interesting to see whether or not that comes to pass. But certainly uh, that's something that we're we're hearing forecasters talk about. And then I think the last way in which Priorities are really changing, and and you know you hear this word, uh, these words a lot from from business leaders is business continuity. Yeah, you know what is essential. Uh, you have all of these shelter-in-place orders, lockdowns, quasi quarantines, if not full quarantines, where people are being asked to decide what is and is not essential. People are making different decisions. You know, in, in New York, liquor stores are essential. You know that that might not be true in a different place. And, in, you know, in the context of supply chains, there are certain things that you get that are mission critical for your operations to keep running. And there are certain things that maybe can be turned off or, or paused, furloughed or just reduced in, in scope. So I think you're seeing that shift as well. So when you talk about the idea of a, of a bullwhip, I mean, you know, you mentioned the, the very timely example of toilet paper, which I'm sure many of the folks who are listening in right now will have a chuckle at, although that is a real thing. Clearly, there's similar examples across the business world, right? I mean, if we make, you know, if we're an automotive manufacturer, maybe there's some sort of part where, you know, this bullwhip effect could happen. Or, or so, so if you think about all the different supply chains that have frozen for a little while or been held back significantly, mm. is there the same kind of building up pressure behind them knowing like, oh, man, they've got to still make those Toyotas or, oh, man, they've still got to put together those toys for kids or, oh, man, they've still got to where, where that supply is going to be coming in so much more hot than it used to be that these other areas will kind of feel that too? Or is it mostly just in consumer package stuff? I mean, who, who's, who's worried? Well, Dan, you know, I, so I think you make a good point. The automotive case is actually quite interesting given how automotive factories seem to be actually wholesale changing over their production lines to make ventilators now and yeah. some other of this life-saving medical equipment that seems to be in relatively short supply, worryingly short supply. And I think that the effect that that will have on the larger economy is a big question mark. I mean, I, I, I think the only thing that we can say with confidence about some of these supply chains that are being repurposed is that no one really knows for sure what is going to come of that. I do think, you know, the main thing people are worried about from you know, business to business commerce perspective is probably healthcare supplies and medicine. and. Again, you know, I think we have to proceed with uh, a healthy amount of, uh, of ambiguity baked in. But I did read a report from the Global Fund, which is a nonprofit that actually buys medicine and medical equipment that had a uh, supply chain risk evaluator actually kind of dig in and, and, and ask the question, you know, how, how bad might it be and, and, and do we need to, um, you know, really worry about it? And 
that ratings report came back with the quote, all pharmaceuticals, insecticidal nets, and freight and logistics associated with them would be impacted, quote, low to moderate. And so I don't think that anyone should take that as the final word by any means. This is a situation that's clearly very fluid and evolving quite quickly. But I think the the good news is that the um, supply chains today operate much more like networks than they do kind of linear movements uh, of goods, services, people, and information. And that gives them some some resiliency. Huh. And it, I guess this takes us into, when we talk about networks, you know, it's all the more data to handle and all the more possible combinations to predict. This kind of leads us into the AI part of the conversation here. When you look at where artificial intelligence will kind of leave the massive disruption to the side for now and just talk about your own familiarity with kind of AI use cases and supply chain and procurement, where do you see kind of those those major areas of intersection between AI and the world that you live in? What are some of those potential overlap areas that are already sort of part of the conversation in supply chain and procurement? Dan, you ask, you know, how does AI fit into procurement's evolution? And I think, you know, I would outline three major areas where you're going to see kind of rapid evolution over the next 10 years for sure. And I I think in some cases over the next five. Area one is, you know, the logistics supply chain itself, moving goods, materials, services, people, data from point A to point B. And I think in that area, connected devices and the ability to take all different kinds of data, new types of sensors that are coming online, um, is just going to create a lot of ways for people to to answer questions that weren't possible to be answered, you know, five, ten years ago, or even today in many cases. You know, simple correlations like how does the weather affect my lead times, or how does the weather maybe impact demand for uh, a particular good? I think the second major area is really going to be in forecasting writ large. And, you know, I think if you if you took a survey of a lot of digital procurement leaders that are doing a lot of good work to get data in order for the AI transformation that's in progress, a lot of that has to do around digging through ERP systems and getting getting arms around kind of what current state is. What are we spending? And if at all possible, at a granular level. So what products and services are we consuming? Where are we consuming them? Who are we consuming them from? And where are there potential opportunities for cost savings that come out of that? So I think demand analysis, demand forecasting, and then uh, spend analysis, um, and really kind of trying to get to as, as much as real-time clarity in terms of money moving in and out of an organization in exchange for the goods and services and supply chain is, is, is going to be huge. And then I think the third category is really going to be kind of the next generation of strategic sourcing. And really in terms of not just relationship management, finding out what matters to other parties involved in your supply chain, whether it's through uh, integrated business planning, supplier collaboration, SNOPs that are really kind of detailed and uh, potentially forward-looking. I think you're going to see a lot more of that, people taking their their sales forecast to their suppliers and saying, 
you know, if I share more data with you, can I get uh, better pricing? And I think you'll see more arrangements like that where people are are pooling their data across different companies, buying together um, and just buying smarter. And then I think overall, you'll see that some of that dovetailed with just more sophisticated ways of analyzing market signals and and particularly um, kind of focusing on what are the trends, what is the signal and, and, and filtering out some of the noise that we see. You know, people are pricing in a lot of uncertainty and ambiguity right now into the cost of doing business. And I think that's where you're going to see big savings opportunities kind of globally. Yeah. What, what, what do you mean by that? So people are pricing in risk. Does that just mean sort of, you know, if I'm shipping the same parts or the same materials, it's just going to cost the buyer more at this point? I mean, is that what it means to factor in risk? I mean, what does factoring in risk mean for, you know, buyers and sellers specifically? You know, we're in this time of, of real shakeup. What does mm. that feel like in business? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, look, they say that supply chain is really all about uh, relationships and relationships are about, you know, trust and the quality of the underlying information and then the clarity of the situation that that information is meant to describe. So in, in times of great chaos, even the best information is unclear because the situation itself is unclear. And the value of trust uh, increases because there are opportunities for bad actors to attempt to mislead people whenever there's kind of a, a fog of war effect or people stressed out or panicked. You know, relationships are going to become more important precisely for that reason, that if you go out into the market right now and try and buy an essential supply, you're pricing in a lot of risk. I mean, stuff costs more now in part because it's in short supply, but you're also not really sure who to get it from. And so you don't know, literally don't know who has it. Um, I walked down the street to uh, Walgreens and Walgreens had a sign on the shelves that said our warehouse is currently out of a number of these products with no indication of when when they'll be restocked. And I think that anytime there's additional steps in a transaction, you can expect the cost of managing that transaction to increase. Okay, got it. So when you talk about factoring for risk, in general, we're talking about higher prices. And probably in particular, that's for things that are in egregiously high demand. But it could be just for things in general, because transportation, workers, future demand that we don't know if it's going to be there or not are all just floating factors. So do we see this as kind of like, you know, an, an aggregately kind of higher pricing for the sake of saving the margins of the people that are making this stuff, especially in the case of essentials? Or is there another way to interpret what you said uh, and nutshell it for the audience? Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be higher prices across the board. I think you will see and have seen in certain product categories, prices go up. Opportunists who are price gouging or are, you know, hoarding in some cases, uh, as we saw, you know, right after the uh, beginning of the kind of COVID announcements with people practicing retail arbitrage who were, you know, buying up all the supply in a given area and then trying to resell it at, yeah. at, at higher prices. I think actually the response to that was pretty amazing. I mean, you saw Amazon, eBay, and in, in many cases, a lot of local governments just say, hey, we're not, <laughs> we're not putting up with that. And, you know, as a result, uh, you know, I think a lot fewer people are, are, are trying to get away with it now. And I think that, um, I mean, the nutshell kind of takeaway, I would say for the audience is that it's not just about higher prices. It's that 
the price of a transaction is inclusive of the amount of time that you're spending to manage it. It's inclusive of the amount of resources from, uh, you know, person hours and headcount perspective that you have to put into getting a process complete. I think you're going to see that that across the board is going to go up as supply becomes less certain. Got it. So yes, it's not just what you're being charged. It's also how many connected dots, how much research you're having to do, how much more uncertainty you have to wade through before you even make the purchase. And so these are all factors of quote unquote price. I mean, that, that's that's what you're ultimately paying is those man hours, that additional kind of time and process. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's something that I think not just is being impacted by you know the pandemic today, but I think that that's something long-term that businesses just have had on their balance sheet as a result of not being able to really make a significant dent in a lot of these processes in the past 20 years from innovation. And I think that over the next 10 years, you're going to see data that, that's a lot cleaner, that's more aggregated and unified and integrated. And I think you're going to see the cost of some of these transactions go down in terms of the number of people that have to manage it um, and the type of work that's done. And I don't necessarily think it will mean fewer people. I, I think that those people will just be doing different things. Yep. And and I think that this is sort of, you know, the, the dream of everybody who wants to see logistics modernized. I, I We are going to pivot pretty quickly into how some of these trends around AI applications might become more or less important moving forward with this current pandemic, you know, what the, the mm. sort of um, aftermath might be. But let's, let's quickly just kind of clarify, you talk a lot about, uh, you know, predicting supply, predicting demand, generally forecasting. I think, you know, when I think about logistics, just being able to have things in Excel sheets in a reasonably timely manner really consistently by itself would be quote unquote predictive to some degree, right? I mean, because we could just run some sort of simple Excel formula on things. And if we had the right data there, we'd be able to see patterns right before our eyes. So it it seems like a lot of this is just getting the darn data right. You had talked about finding, let's say, the signal in the noise, so to speak. It does feel like within logistics, if we're going to get predictive, if we're going to forecast, we're going to have to find specific snippets of data from which we can actually predict. Because to think that the whole constellation is going to be harmonized in a way where we can find aggregate patterns and get it at the same time and get it with the same degree of reliability is obviously unrealistic. Where are those pockets where we might be able to eke out harmonized enough data to actually make AI even happen. Well, Dan, I, you know, I think you asked a couple, couple really good questions there. And, you know, I'd like to just kind of start with my perspective on what's going to happen to data harmonization and integration at the enterprise level, because I think that that may, may answer some of your other questions. Yeah, let's go for it. Let's go for it. So I think that what you're seeing now are the development of some really exciting technologies that I would describe as essentially the difference between EDI and APIs. In other words, the difference between spending a long time to build one connection between two nodes in a network and spending a very small fraction of the time building something that can connect to every node in a network simultaneously. And as part of that, what you're seeing is the ability for different types of data to be exfiltrated um, and organized in a database, cleansed, and for people to create more or less thesauruses for the different entities in that data set so that very quickly they can understand, okay, 
well, from this database, it says this part number and, and this database, it's the distributor's number, but these two are actually the same. Um, and so this demand forecast should look like this. Now, to your kind of initial point, I 100% agree with you that the problem is not today predictive analytics. The problem is really current state. Most of the data that we look at that is, you know, quote unquote, demand forecasting, the latency is so long that it might be a forecast of something that actually just kind of chronologically is in the past. Yep. Um, I think if we had real time view into our into our supply chains, we would be um, yeah miles miles ahead. But I don't think that it's so crazy to think that we could get there in the next five or ten years. If you look at the growth of sensors, of pickers, of counters um, that are coming into all of all of these nooks and crannies throughout the supply chain. It doesn't seem so crazy to me that that people will know start to finish where their package is from when it leaves the factory to when it's delivered to the business or to the consumer. Um, and it, it doesn't seem so crazy to me that that people will have a sense when a order is placed, what the manufacturing requirements are and be, and be able to not merely plan accordingly, but actually kind of manufacture and customize some of the aspects of the good more or less in real time. And I think if you see some of the developments that have happened in e-commerce, where increasingly, you know, the voice of the consumer today is all about customization. You know, one size does not fit all. People want, um, they don't just want pair of pants A, they want, you know, pair of pants in a particular color, in a particular size. Uh, and it's all about um, designing websites that show the consumer the good that's most likely to match their, you know, consumer persona. Um, and so that I think is going to drive actually, I think you'll see the kind of arms race for, you know, top line revenue and share of wallet, mind share of the consumer actually be the the kind of big mover on the supply chain, where increasingly producing a bunch of the same, you know, kind of one size fits all or one color fits all or one body type fits all. Uh, is just not going to cut it from a retail consumer perspective. And I don't think it'll happen in business either. Oh, man, it really feels to me as like adding drastically more customization and, and more sort of variables to juggle at once in order to kind of satisfy consumer demand is just sort of putting a strain. You know, we, we don't have regular analytics, you know, consistent, you know, harmonized regular analytics. Things are on, you know, a yellow pad and the forklift they're on a random Excel sheet that, you know, Jim pulls out every other Wednesday, you know, to, to throw in this much customization feels like overloading the system to some degree. But what you're talking about is, you know, demand for modern, fast, responsive systems in retail pushing down into logistics. Is it possible to push down to overwhelm or do you see it pushing down in a way that maybe forces logistics to invest in data infrastructure, to invest in data scientists, to actually get, get this stuff harmonized and used in some way. Do, do you see it pushing investment or, or does, is there a chance it's, it's pushing into you know, a realm that really can't be pushed much farther because they're already having a hard time you know, with their yellow pads as it stands? Dan, it's, it's a good question. And I, I think that you know, if you asked most logistics leaders today, you know, what do you not like about your logistics operation? Probably nine out of 10 would tell you it's too hard to find truckers. That's like the number one problem today. And, and so people are, you know, hot on self-driving trucks and they're hot on um, oh. kind of experiences that can, you know, solve that problem because it's right in front of them and it's hitting their 
their bottom line today. The spreadsheets problem that, that we've been talking about is on the list of problems for sure. But it's not number um, one. It's not number one. But it's not number one. And I don't think it actually will become number one until the pressure of customization and the norms around customization become more widespread. Huh. But I, I actually, I don't think that it's superfluous. I'll give you one example. So there's a company called uh, Fit3D um, that made these body scanners that would go into gyms and uh, you know professional sports teams would buy them and they would make uh, really good 3D body scans. And they you know sold these and, and, and were making some money, but they woke up one day and they realized, hey, we have the largest set of 3D body scans. And that's really interesting. And so what we can do is, you know, by scanning your body or even by asking you a few questions that we can that we can compare against our model that, that factors a vast array of data from these from these body scans, we can custom size clothing for you. And and you might think of that as as kind of a trivial problem, but one of the kind of first use cases that that they went after was with body harnesses for uh, people who get up on telephone poles to repair electrical lines and do other work up there. And actually, if you wear the wrong size harness and you fall, that can be a, a fatal outcome for you. Um, and so the impact for companies of just having people wear the right size harness actually was, was, was pretty huge. And so, you know, I think that there are other cases where you know, we think of innovation as providing, um, you know, these kind of disruptive solutions. Well, if you have the choice between wearing something that fits and something that doesn't, you'll wear something that fits every day of the week. Um, and in some cases, it will make more of a difference, life or death. In some cases, it will make less of a difference. Imagine if every consumer or business good material object fit you and fit your purpose the right way. I yeah, think that that's yeah. the economy that people will want to move towards. And I think that that makes, you know, solving the spreadsheet problem the number one priority. Huh. Okay. So, and obviously we talked about apparel because it's easy to, to you know, you require some degree of customization for apparel, unlike, let's say, uh, ballpoint pens. But of course, there's plenty of variety for ballpoint pens and you can put your logo on there. And what you're getting at is that personalization, variety, customization writ large across retail is going to force such demands on supply chain that really they they will need to modernize their system to deal with how the economy and consumer preferences work. This is kind of a, your your supposition that that will sort of force the changes that we hope we will come about to to be able to leverage this data for AI. Yeah, I think that yeah. that's I think that that's exactly it and I think the other pressure uh that we haven't really talked about is the pressure of things moving faster. So I think, you know, you look at uh you know, Amazon Prime next day delivery, same day delivery that's created a new norm in the logistics industry that other companies, anyone that delivers goods or services, has to, yeah. to some degree, catch up with, in part driven by consumer expectations, or at very least the idea that if something is going to replace a local inventory supply, a warehouse or a brick and mortar store, it has to be able to arrive there very quickly. Got it. And so this is additional strain that in, in your eyes might push us towards getting our data act together in the log logistics world. I know we're going into overtime here, Ed, but one last little kind of question. We, you talked about a number of domains where you believe sort of AI will play an important role 
in the future of the supply chain. You know, a lot of companies are taking a massive hit right now, and they're going to be thinking about, of course, stopping the bleeding. They're going to have to figure out how to adjust and recover. They're also going to have to think about how to come back stronger. When you think about this impact, this particular crisis, what are the sort of AI use cases that for you are going to be that much more important? You know, is it prediction because everybody's worried about another you know, event of this magnitude, maybe really throwing a wrench in the works? Is it is it something else? Where do you think AI, where will the attention be around AI in procurement as people start coming out of this lull here? Yeah, Dan, no, it's, it's a good question. Um, I think that the way that a lot of business leaders are looking at this is they're saying, you know, first, let's get through this business continuity. Again, I think of the, of the words of the day. And Let's think about what this would look like if it happened again, and how would our business adapt to it? How will it adapt to it if it lasts a lot longer? And what does that mean in terms of the way that we buy technology and in terms of the way that we invest in our own data, both as an efficiency target and also as a competitive advantage? And I think that what you're seeing is that, uh, and I, I don't want to um, say this lightly because I think it, it's, it's a big thing, but it's also not that complicated. AI will be used to do more with less. Um, I don't think you're going to see the invention of a lot of wildly new business processes, but I think what you will see is people taking business processes that they're currently using that currently require a few humans at different points in the process to analyze data make a decision, approve something, check a set of data against a set of rules and say whether it's normal or whether it's an exception. Those things I think will be replaced by, in the short term, bots, rules engines, uh, you know, kind of configurations that operate very simplistic binary or kind of multiple choice judgments. And I think that longer term, what you're going to see is that that's kind of like automating away transactional work that you're you're actually you don't need ai for that you're already seeing that in like accounts payable automation other spaces but i think longer term what you're going to be seeing more and more is that supply chain and procurement will actually follow in some respects the evolution of sales and marketing technology where it's all about centralizing the most important relationship data first in a CRM or other system of record, establishing a canonical point of contact for all communication to flow through, and then pulling in outside data sources that aggregate other sets of data in real time that allow uh, human decision makers to essentially manage more relationships than they otherwise would be able to. If you look at the number of customer relationships that the average salesperson had 50 years ago, much, 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 much lower than today. Um, and I think that you'll see some of that in supply chain where you'll have the same people that are managing more categories using some of these platforms. And importantly, AI in, in this case, unlike with bots where it's you know kind of taking a process and automating the application of a set of rules or you know divining um, when an exception has occurred, I think in the case that I'm describing, uh, rather than being transactional, this AI will actually be supporting human-to-human relationships. And so the main uh, value that it will bring is allowing people 
on both sides of the table to work from the same fact set in coming to an agreement and actually be more cooperative rather than kind of the traditional supply chain uh, negotiation attitude of, you know, give me what I want or else, or being kind of more combative. I think you're going to see a lot more businesses that recognize that it's in their interest to trust each other and put their money where their mouth is, or, or at very least put their data where their mouth is. We can end on that quote, put their data where their mouth is. Well, it sounds like we're going to have to get to that waypoint before uh, AI can really kick in. But uh, I think your emphasis on doing more with less is appealing to almost everybody who's tuned in and operates within the supply chain. I'm certainly rooting for us getting there. Ed, I know that's all we have for time, but thanks for joining us uh, here on the AI and Business Podcast. Dan, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. I'd actually like your feedback. We're now going with this new theme. Every Tuesday, we're covering use cases. Every Thursday, we're covering making the business case. We've got a great topic teed up for building a business advantage with artificial intelligence coming up in this Thursday episode. But I want to know, how are you liking the series? Do you like the balance between these two different topics? And are there other things you'd like to see us cover, whether it's industries, whether it's how long the podcasts are, how often they publish? If so, be sure to drop me a note on LinkedIn. It's just Dan Figella at LinkedIn. Very easy to find me. Go ahead and connect, pop me a message, and let me know, hey, Dan, here's what I really like, or hey, Dan, here's what I'd like you to change. Ultimately, it's feedback from listeners that matters most to us. It's feedback from our Emerge Plus members and from our listeners that essentially dictates the changes that you see here on the podcast. So whenever we change format, we change intro style, even a couple years back, we changed music. It was based on what you, the listeners, have told us. So drop us a five-star review on iTunes if you have something you've really, really enjoyed. But if you have any kind of feedback directly for me, just find me on LinkedIn at Dan Fagella. That's F-A-G-G-E-L-L-A. Anywho, we're going to wrap up this episode. You're going to want to stay tuned for Thursday's episode of Making the Business Case here on the AI and Business Podcast, where we're going to be talking about leveraging AI for a competitive advantage. So stay tuned in two days, and I'll catch you then.